You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on? What is happening I gotta tell you a few things before we jump right into this very strange episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, and one of those things is about Sinusoid, Sinusoid custom cables. Man, we love the Soid. You guys, uh, you guys need the Soid, even even if you don't know it yet. If you uh, have not yet experienced the glory that is purchasing something from the boys over at Sinusoid, well, I think you should rectify that. And might I recommend you go with the tiniest soldered patch cable on the market, the Sinusoid Sliver. That solves a lot of problems for a lot of people. It's itty-bitty, it's rock solid, and it's got a 100-year warranty. I don't know what more you could possibly ask for out of a patch cable. I mean, it's it's just about perfect, right? Right? I don't know. That's up to you to decide. But if you slide over to Sinusoid.com, you can check out the Sliver and all the other fine offerings they have to get your signal from your guitar to your amplifier in the best way possible. So make sure to check out sinusoid.com. And of course, I'm not coursed. Coursed. I don't know what that's a thing. I don't know. I can't I can't make any sense out of anything anymore. Of course, I got to talk to you about Gun Street Wiring Shop. Gun Street Wiring Shop out of Bend, Oregon, making custom wiring harnesses for your guitar. Whatever you might need. You never know. You might be wanting to get crazy. Maybe you got some new pickups in and they're wired for four conductor, and you want to get splitting, and you want to have push-pull pots, and you want to have face switching, and you want to have all kinds of crazy things. Well, Sean can hook it up. Or maybe you just want normal stuff. Maybe you just want to upgrade what's already there for better quality components, for better quality tones. It's T-O-A-N-Z. Not, yeah, what you were thinking. So yeah, go to GunStreetWiringShop.com. Make sure and check them out. And if they don't have exactly what you need, definitely email them with any kind of crazy idea that you might have, Sean will make it happen because that's how he rolls, and it's awesome. So make sure and check out GunStreetWiringShop.com. Woo, all right, all right, it's weird today. Let's let's get weird with it. So before we get started, I need to tell you something about this episode because this is kind of a weird one. So I originally had some others scheduled for today that were supposed to go out, but my most recent interviews... For some reason, my audio is all messed up. I'm working with my uh, company that I use to do these remote recordings to try to get that resolved, but obviously that doesn't do any good right now. So what I wanted to do today was actually something I was planning on doing in coming weeks, but we just had to shuffle things around and move this up to the front. So what we got here is a example of one of our Patreon episodes. This is probably one of my favorite Patreon episodes. Um, I've talked about it here and there, how we go off onto some deep tangents sometimes, and and you know we never know where those, uh, those conversations could go. But basically, this is the, the extended version of the interview I did with the guys from Electro Foods. 
Matt and Carl, really, uh, really great guys. And if you missed that episode, go back and listen to the the main episode first, which was back on. Let me look here. Wow, it was actually a lot further back than I thought. It's a uh, way back on episode ninety one is when those guys came on. We recorded an extended version for Patreon, and that is what we're gonna play now. And we go into robots. You know, I mean, we go way off way off the deep end on it but it's it's a lot of fun it was one of my favorite interviews i did so i'm glad to take it out of the patreon section and put it out there for you guys to listen to so that's what's going on today that's where it's, it's just gonna jump right into weirdness we're just gonna go we're gonna hit the ground running but if you didn't get a chance to go back and listen to when they were first on it might make more sense to pause this one and go back and listen to the first time matt and carl were on but um yeah so that's what's happening today. It's a little bit out of the ordinary. We're going to try to get back into the normal swing of things starting next week. I am working with these uh, the company on getting this uh, file situation resolved. So hopefully we can we can get it to where it's acceptable audio and and you know what you're used to hearing basically. But until then, here is the episode with Matt and Carl and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So I'll shut up and not shut up at the same time. And I'm not going to stop the recording. I'm just going to cut That's it there in post. In post. That's cool we'll do it in post. Post. And now we're in the Patreon section of the episode. Uh, at, does that not feel so Answer. much weirder? Look at that. It, Everything's kind of purple you know now. It it is. I feel like there's yeah. a. I I think that dark hallway came back. Yeah. It's back. Yeah. So yeah. we 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 talked about Philly cheesesteaks. I don't know which one of you I was talking to, but on Instagram a little bit because I I mentioned that I in the Strymon episode, uh, we we discussed uh steak sandwiches, and we were very. They were very careful not to call them Philly cheesesteak sandwiches, although they were right, from the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they they knew enough to not go there. Yeah, and I know enough not to go there too. But also, I've had, I've had what was called cheesesteak sandwiches in various places in the country, but never in Philadelphia. I don't actually know what constitutes a real legit one other than it has to be in Philadelphia. So, so educate me, please. Yeah. So I think, so Carl and I, neither one of us growing up here. Yeah. Caveat number one, caveat number two, we're both vegetarian. <laughs> um, <laughs> but not always. Said, you mentioned you'd had, you'd had sausages yeah, yeah, yeah. before. But yeah. I was vegetarian by the time I moved to Philly. And okay. me as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I've never had a meat. Philly cheesesteak. I, 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 so I actually have had a meat Philly cheesesteak because when I was in Delaware, I would have one in Philly on occasion. So I have okay. had them. Okay. And I can, I can vouch for the fact, which is what I was about to say, that uh, if you at least, if you go to the right places in Philly, there are excellent vegan and vegetarian Philly cheesesteaks. That is Philly. true. Like very, very excellent. And I think the key isn't so much the meat itself. The meat is really, and a Philly cheesesteak, I think is, is it's really just sort of a vehicle for the bread and cheese and okay, and the peppers and onions. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And the cheese needs to be like a cheese whiz kind of thing. Well, I would argue that that's not true, but that's just my own aversion to cheese whiz. I'll get crucified. Carl's, Carl's also from upstate New York, as we mentioned uh, earlier. I'll get <laughs> home of the garbage plate. <laughs> Outside of Rochester, yes. Yeah. So that's I'm at thing. least from this state, I will say. I don't know if that gives you any more. No, it really authority. doesn't. Williamsport's garbage, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, and if, I guess in the Patreon portion, I can I can very directly badmouth the one town that I grew up in. <laughs> you can if you would like. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really some... intend to go there. Just kind of, yeah. you know, but, had an honest moment there. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think, and and for me, if. There is a vehicle for bread and cheese. I'm in. Uh, well, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I think that the amoroso roll is key. So it's the bread is a big thing. Yeah, there. like and you got to get the the right. I mean, it's it's the hoagie roll, basically. Yeah, which mm -hmm. is which is yeah, and that's a funny thing too, is because I moved here and I was like, oh, it's not a sub, right? Because yeah. where I'm from, they call them subs, <clears throat> but then there's. Uh, you know areas like a half hour away and they're like oh no this is a hero yeah i, I was a linguistically <laughs> confused kid because like both yeah. of my parents are from indiana um and i was born in ohio and i lived in ohio rochester new york Berea, kentucky and williamsport pennsylvania by the time i was five I didn't know. oh wow yeah for i lived in rochester for like four months so it was when my dad was finishing grad school uh, and doing some postdoc work. Where? Um, RIT? University of Rochester. U of R, okay. Yeah. Um, and he was there for three or four months and hated it, and it was awful. And so he got his old research position back at uh, Miami University. University, yeah, whatever. The Miami that's in Oxford, Ohio. Oh, okay. Not that, Miami, that one. Florida. Yes, yeah. everyone knows that one. Which Obviously is what's like Florida. Yeah. I was sitting here going like Miami. I didn't hear Florida. Did right. I just like did I just black out for a minute and he said <laughs> no, Florida you didn't. and I didn't hear it? Okay. You didn't, I, yeah. I thought the same thing, Blake. Right. I was confused as well. All right, um, good. Yeah, so it's the Oxford, <laughs> Ohio, which is that's the town I was born in. I was born in Oxford, Ohio, because my dad was getting his PhD there. Um so moved back to there for, you know, another six, eight months, and then he got like a temporary teaching position at this at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. Which is like this, like super, super like progressive bastion in the middle of Kentucky. Which I yeah. I just thought it was an awesome little town. I didn't want to move away, but I was I was like three and a half. Um. So I I did kind of figured that out later, <laughs> uh, and then we moved to Williamsport. Um. And but like with all of that, like the whole you know I was saying pop instead of soda. The whole you know, the first five years of my life and Williamsport, it, it, like the vast majority of people in Williamsport, and this is less true now, but in the eighties, this was very true. The vast majority of people in Williamsport, like their parents are from Williamsport, the grandparents are from Williamsport, the great grandparents are from Williamsport. And so like, and pre-internet, the knowledge of like other linguistic idioms was very minimal among the children. <laughs> so like, I got a, I got a lot of like, what are you talking about? Kind of kind of things when I'd say something funny. The children weren't well versed in linguistic idioms, huh? Yes. Huh. I mean, I, I think that that's still a continuing <laughs> thing, uh, internet or yeah. not. I feel like yeah. the children aren't necessarily hip to uh, every region's term 
for everything. Yeah, I agree. But they're at least knowledgeable that there are other regions with other other phrases out there, and that like the language changes much faster because you find new phrases from the internet. Like that's true. It's not. It's not this. Like it. Just having the knowledge that there are people who talk differently somewhere else would have been helpful. But it also for for my happiness as a child. Yeah, but it also has a (laughs) homogenizing effect to a degree. Which, yeah, does. which is which is fine. I'm really just talking about not yeah. traumatizing the children who move to a new place. <laughs> I don't no think f- that that's a. I mean, come <laughs> on, it, it's made you who you are today. You know, it has, it has, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. true. So let me trauma. let me touch on this. I, I, yeah. I, you mentioned something. Since I mean, food is really important. As, as much as this is supposed to be about guitar pedals, it's really not. It's really about food. It's all about food. Um, yeah. Uh, so the pop versus soda thing. Um, yeah. I've, yeah. I I never grew up with it um, like being real strong either way. Like just depended on like whose house I was at. They would call it mm. one thing or another. But one yeah. thing like that I noticed, at least around here, that seems to be like less of a a thing. And instead, we just call the beverage what it is. So like like and not to mean it's like don't like I want to get me a pop. It's like I'm going to go get a Mountain Dew or I'm going to go right. get an orange soda or I'm going to go get. Like huh, a Pepsi yeah. or a Coke, I, like it's it's not so much a pop or a soda thing. It definitely yeah. is a thing, but at least around here, it's like I'm gonna go get a root beer. Like the beverage like itself was. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't. I, I didn't think of that, that until think, just now. Yeah, I like you're saying that. And it's kind of blowing my mind because I think I like. I said the whole thing about pop versus soda. I don't know that I say either of those at all anymore. Like, I think I just call the thing by what it is. Mm-hmm. And that seems like what I'm, we did I'm as never, a kid, mostly. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I'm ever in the mood for a sweet carbonated beverage, I'll pr- I'm probably in the mood for something specific. Or, right. or I discover, or I discover that the like I did today <laughs> uh, when I so I I live pretty close to Chris Morgan handsome beard etching or I work, I don't really live. I work, I have a commute. So I, he and I commute to about the same area and then drive further apart when we go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we meet for lunch and so we don't have to ship enclosures back and forth. Yeah. Um, so I met, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I met him at uh, this lovely Greek restaurant that we're both a little bit obsessed with. Um, and they had, white birch beer which is maybe a thing that you don't know wow i don't think i've heard of that i don't know what that is sounds like tree beer like birch beer yeah so it's like it's 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 birchy root beer but it's it's clear so it looks like sprite hmm that's interesting Interesting. yeah that is a that is a pennsylvania dutch thing like so a southern southeastern pennsylvania thing yeah all these regional things are so interesting. Yeah. We're so, yeah. so like we're so homogenous over here in the Northwest in some ways. We don't well, have things like that. We're, I mean, we've, we've got some homogenizing tendencies over here too. That's, that's very true. And I think I was reading an article this person wrote about uh, just like linguistics and, and all that in general. And as, and as broadcast happened, regional dialects are, have slowly faded away. Yeah. They're less and less strong than they were, you know, a generation ago or two generations mm-hmm. ago, because, you know, we all grew up watching the same newscaster and, you know, TV shows sure. and people go to these 
schools to you know and get coached to the you know actors and stuff like that so they don't have an accent so yeah that, that actually reminds me of a video i seen that that uh i actually hated the concept um uh-huh um it was and you maybe you've seen it it was it the gist of it was this guy was going to to like speech not speech therapy but class to uh-huh. get rid of his boston accent um yeah, so that he would sound more professional this. or like i think this guy might have been yeah. trying to be an actor but there was like he was like they were like trying to get his dad to like break his Boston accent and not, I'm like, and I was like, no, that's lame. Yeah, like, wow. like, like roll with that. Like that's, that's part right. of like, otherwise you just sound like a boring Pacific Northwestern or like me, like, with, <laughs> like yeah. I've always said, and I don't know if I've gotten to arguments with people about this before, but I feel like the, not necessarily like Southern California, but like Washington, Oregon area. I feel like our accent is to not really have one we kind of say things how Webster says to say them for the most part. I don't know if that's yeah. true, but that's the way I've always viewed it. Is that, would that, is that make any I, sense? I, it totally, I it totally does. And I, mean, I, I don't actually know how true that is. I mean, yeah, I think every region has its, its own little things and some of them are more subtle than others. Um, that's true. That's probably I don't true. Do, I don't do it so much anymore, but I used to listen to a lot of linguistics podcasts. Um, and and like yeah like there are people who know about all those little things and they can you know there's weird weird little nuggets in the way you say something that you can find for pretty much anywhere um but for sure uh, you know some area like northern new jersey we're working class italian background Mm -hmm. northern new jersey is probably gonna sound a certain way that you're not gonna find anywhere else yeah and i love that I think that's yeah. Fantastic. I love it too. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, my best friend's uh, a lot of his family's from like Newark, and it's you know it's it, it has a kind of almost New York thing, but it's different. different. Exactly. Yeah, and it's so and cool. It's yeah. I, I love that stuff. I yeah. I mean, it's like the I mean the homogenizing influence of, of broadcast and the internet. Like that's fine. It's going to happen. Like you, you to some extent, you can't stop it. But like. True. In, in in some ways, maybe it just makes those regionalisms more precious and like more cool and should be celebrated even more because if they're strong enough that they can survive the internet, then there's something, I guess, really special about that. Yeah, that's that true. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And I'm also, I, I don't want to get up on a soapbox, but I'm also like uh, really against linguistic prescriptivism. So like... A lot of those rules that they teach you in school about how language works and about like grammar and stuff were basically like made up by really uptight white guys in the 1800s who wanted English to be more like Latin, and they literally just made up a lot of those rules. Well, it's it seems a lot like uh, music theory. So like, (laughs) there's all these these rules that people take apart from 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 all these people, and you know, I remember in in class like. (laughs) Cause I, I went to, you know, I, I took a lot of music classes. Um, and you know, one of the things was like, you know, I'd get a grade back on a paper and be like, Oh, this doesn't follow, you know, you broke the rule here. I was like, yeah, but it sounds so much better, you know? And you know, the, the teacher would be like, well, Bach did that, but you can't yet. And it's like, well, what do you mean? I can't yet. It sounds cool. They, you know, they hate, yeah. you know, it's wrong to have parallel moving, uh, 
like chords, like power chords moving back and forth is like a thing that's like wrong in classical music, but it sounds awesome. So like, I don't, it's, it's really yeah. funny that, but none of those rules existed when all of those people did those things, you know, there, there were kind of ideas of what they thought music was and, and how they organized it and, and whatever else. And there were some kind of general things that followed. Um, but still, uh, you know, and that's why you have like, there's a bunch of different types of scales and stuff like that. And if you look at like old song books, they'll have like, you know, oh, this is like a Balkan version of this scale. And it has these different things to it because people in the Balkans are incorporated their folk music. And that's, you know, part of that. And that's, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I love that stuff. So Matt, yeah. like kind of since I guess we I guess we can talk about music stuff a little bit, whatever. <laughs> but, um, we have to. But uh, you were saying that as a you, you said you do mechanical engineering, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you said you approached music from a mechanical engineering perspective. How so? Can you like go into that a little bit more? I'm not yeah, sure. I, I'm mechanical, but I'm not an engineer, so I don't quite follow. So like I like I knew very early on that like every octave um is multiplying the frequency by two, right? And so, and then like everything kind of, everything else kind of flows from that. So like if, if two notes are going to sound good together, then the fundamental frequency of each note is probably a, like a low whole number relationship, like two thirds or three halves or three quarters or something. Like if you divide the frequencies between them like that, you'll okay. get You'll get it, you know, you're not going to get like an irrational number or something that like goes on forever. Um, some like, you know, it's going to be something you can write nicely as a fraction. And the nicer the fraction is and the more you can reduce the fraction, probably the more uh, the more pleasant those two notes will sound together. Um, That's fascinating. <laughs> That's really interesting. I've never heard it explained like that before, but it makes sense. Yeah, and it, and so like I was coming at it from like I, you know, I learned a bunch of stuff about how frequencies work and how um, resonance works and and all of these sort of mechanical concepts that are the building blocks of how musical instruments work. And so like I knew that stuff from sort of the physics and engineering stuff before I really knew much about the, the music theory side but I knew just enough of the music theory to sort of know how they were connected. Um, and, and then later as I like, you know, I took my mechanical knowledge and tried to go back and learn music theory and was kind of just like, what, this is all BS. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Like, like, why do we have eight letters for 12 evenly spaced notes? Good question. Like, I don't that's know. That's just garbage as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's just awful. So, uh, <laughs> so with all that in mind, do you ever look at a guitar or other musical instruments from a design perspective and you're like, that's dumb. Why is it that way? Oh, if yeah. we just make this light tweak, it would actually, you know, intonate properly or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, in, intonation's tough because it has to do with like how this, how the string length vibrates or how the string length changes as it vibrates. So like mm -hmm. when the when the string is bending down over the nut, it's sort of rolling down over the nut, and so it's getting slightly shorter, and then it's coming back up. You know, so like you're in some ways you're never going to get intonation perfect, right? Um, right. But I do like it. Also, 
<laughs> having all of that knowledge also keeps me from wanting to build guitars because <laughs> like I, I like I just knowing how precise all that stuff has to be and like you know like having to hand place frets and stuff and just like like I'm so aware of how wrong it's gonna be like when I try to put it in and I'm gonna like you know have to like you know file the frets into correct intonation it just sounds like a freaking nightmare like if I can't have a CNC machine do it that you know which is you know when I I like I've heard about EGC super early like I, That's funny. I sort of that is exactly where I was going with my next like yeah. questioning was yeah I, I heard I I stumbled across Valeno guitars just Googling or something in like 2006. And then I was like, huh, aluminum, that makes so much sense. And I was like, yeah. I was like working, you know, there was a machine shop on campus and I was like in grad school and I had to like machine my own stuff in the machine shop for my research. And I, you know, and I was like, and, and I, I actually literally brought a guitar in the one day and like, you know, fit, I, I fit a left-handed, shredder neck that i got at a pawn shop that i didn't realize was left-handed at the time onto a tysco body that required yeah. like a five eighths inch thick aluminum shim was it actually a lefty <laughs> or was it just no a, it's actually a reverse actually a lefty okay. yeah because the nut was wrong all right um, i was just curious because yeah you know, that yeah that was the so we can talk about that if we want to but that was the time i tried to build a theremin into a guitar yeah you should talk about that okay yeah um so I had this idea uh, of literally that building a theremin into the, into a guitar so that the strings would be the pitch antenna for the theremin. Mm -hmm. And then when you oh. touch the strings, it would squelch the theremin. So you could still like play guitar normally. And then the moment you take your hands off the strings, you have a theremin. It a theremin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I actually did it. I actually like bought like a theremin PC board. It was like populated and like worked. It just didn't have an enclosure. Um, and then, and tried to wire it into the, the bridge ground wire so that the bridge ground wire and everything connected to it, including the strings would be the, uh, the theremin pitch antenna, but it didn't work. And I, at the time I didn't know enough about anything to understand why I just knew that it didn't freaking work. Like if I just put like a little wire antenna on the theremin circuit, it would make noise. It'd be great. If I hooked it up to the guitar, it would just be silent all the time. And I didn't know why. Hmm. And it turns out it's because the way theremins work is you're changing the capacitance between the antenna and, and the ground, you know, sort of the earth, literally the earth. Oh, um, I, and, I didn't have a clue how they worked. I thought it was dark magic. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you are pretty close to earth ground yourself. And so as you get close to it, you're, you know, capacitors are like two two plates spaced near each other. And the closer they are, the higher the capacitance, all else being equal. And so like you getting closer to the theremin antenna are increasing the capacitance and the circuit is set up to sense that and change the pitch. Your iPhone uses that same technology to figure out where your finger is, right? But it's it's basically just capacitive touch technology just without the touch. Interesting. Um, and used to drive either a volume change in the circuit or a pitch change in the oscillator. Um, so, but the guitar strings and the bridge and all that stuff being so humongous started out with way larger capacitance to ground than the circuit was designed to handle. And so it just like, it was permanently squelched 
and like wouldn't make any noise and me moving waving my hands around it like just wasn't a big enough either wasn't a big enough change in capacitance or was a change in capacitance in the like already beyond where it was passed hmm. so it may not have in fact actually as i think about it it may not have been squelched it may have been oscillating beyond audio frequency so i couldn't hear interesting. it interesting so yeah. is there a is there a theremin type circuit that if it had enough i don't know i'm i have no idea i'm talking way out of my league here if it had enough uh a, a different circuit could it work or a larger oh, yeah. circuit or it absolutely could work that particular circuit without modifying it could not um and i actually still have that board and i sort of toy with the idea of of uh finishing that guitar at some point that would be fun and i called it the thimitar like i mean of like course you would. what else would you call it i was also yeah. I, i'm also really into floor and uh the self-titled floor album the first track is scimitar Oh yeah. And it was right. like that. And when I made that, it was like early, you know, I made that in like 2006. And so like, and I'd gotten into f that floor album in like 2003. And when I, when I first heard that floor, album, I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And then like within a couple of years, I was in a band with no basis that tuned super low. And I was like, Oh, this is really relevant to my interests. And I got even <laughs> deeper into it. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I don't know. You guys, uh, I, I feel like we could go all night, but I'm looking at this clock that says 102 minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking that I'm kind of hungry, not, uh, yeah. and uh, especially because uh, I keep thinking about sandwiches. And yeah, sandwiches I are great. I, I keep they like, really I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about sandwiches more if we don't. Yeah, stop. I sometimes eat a sandwich for dessert. Like I love sandwiches. Thank so is it, for the are you guys sandwich. like, like this, like I would much rather like somebody's like, here, here's a meal. Um, here's a wonderful meal that you just ate. Uh, and they're like, here's dessert. I'm like, yeah, could I have more of the, the meal? Like, oh, very, yeah, I'm not totally a big right. dessert guy. That's so right. I'm not. And every now and then, like there's, there's like a few restaurants I go to and I'm always like, when I sit down, I'm like, oh, remember to save room for dessert. Cause the dessert here looks so good and I've never had it cause I never have room for dessert <laughs> and then you know i eat and the food is so good that i eat all of it and i stuff myself and i'm full and then you know uh someone comes around and asks would you like dessert and the answer <laughs> is i would like it but i i cannot order it at this time because <laughs> i have you know filled my stomach yeah they're uh, bursting they're at the like scenes. A, yeah, yes. exactly. There are like a Not few another desserts that I I will I will get down for, but I usually want them like at another time. Like yeah. I ate dinner, give me like four hours, and then I'll like I'll eat it as a snack or something. But like right after dinner, no, nah. no. Nah. If I'm if I'm still hungry enough that I want dessert, then I probably just would rather eat more dinner, like you said. Mm -hmm. I had I had dessert like a straight up dessert for the first time yesterday in. A long time, probably hmm. like nine months uh, or wow. longer. Um, and it was worth it. It was definitely good. It was like a Reese's peanut butter cup cream pie. It okay, was really that good. That sounds pretty great. That, that yeah. is kind of like, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. sounds, that's one of my favorite like things yeah. is Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. It had like, it was like a peanut butter cream pie with whipped cream on it and peanuts on the whipped cream and then Reese's peanut butter cups on top. I was yeah, like, all right. Nice. And a graham cracker crust. I was like, all right, 
I'm down with this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was pretty good. It was good. Since we're talking about food, um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I meant to ask this in the main episode, but I didn't. So, oops. Um, <laughs> elect- electro foods. What's that about? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to have to take this one. He, I, yeah. He created it before we ever met. Okay. Actually. Yeah. That I, was uh, his idea. So, I guess I have to, so that first band that I was in, that was like the weird soundscape stuff with the poetry that sort of later turned into a band. Mm-hmm. That band was called I Fanblades, like I comma fan, like I robot almost. Right. And it was like the whole, the whole, like, it was kind of like an, you know, internet of things before the internet of things. Like what if all of our little electronics and appliances like became sentient together and like we're, you know, it like it was kind of an iRobot, like they're going to take over the world kind of thing. Like there was a lot well, of dystopian, this, dark stuff going on. In this the, ties in the back into the ovens yeah. killing us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Which, it's, it's very related. We'll go back to, uh, oh man, what is that band? Oh no, I can't think of them. They have that, the, the brilliantly titled album, Software Slump. <laughs> I don't know, but that is a good title. I don't know what that band is either. Oh man, it is a hilarious. They, they have title. A, a song that's all about like, um, you know, uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot of appliances and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, I gotta find that. All right, well, so while you're finding that, I'll continue the yeah, story. Sorry, no, that's fine. Um, so, Granddaddy, sorry, oh, name of the band is Granddaddy. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. song don't know that yeah i don't know that album but i've heard that heard of that band before. Uh, it's, yeah it's really good there's they talk a lot about appliances <laughs> and they're sentient yeah uh so yeah they're so very sad so anyway like they're that kind of like weird mix of uh mechanical and electrical and organic as as sort of a slightly uh discomforting sort of imagery like i don't know i've always been i've always been really interested in that stuff like when i when back in college uh our american society of mechanical engineers uh chapter decided to make t-shirts and so we had to figure out like what to put on them um and so we had we decided to have like a t-shirt contest where people could submit designs and then we had like you know online voting and this is like the early 2000s so we felt really fancy um and the my submission for this contest was, you know, University of Delaware Mechanical Engineering. One day we'll build the robots that build the robots that build the robots that take over the world. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, that's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but so, it's hilarious. Stop, what you're doing. stop with all that. Stop doing that. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, right. Exactly. So like, so, you know, my head is often thinking about, and like our, our band book legger is based on a, it's the name comes from a post-apocalyptic sci-fi novel. And, you know, so we're just, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, always got those ideas floating around. Um, Canticle for Leibowitz. Well, nope. Went past my head. First I was like, I'll know this. Nope. I guess not. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, It's, uh, it's my, it's my favorite book. By far, I would say, mm, yeah. um, it surpassed Dune when I read it, like almost immediately. This is impressive. Who wrote it? Uh, Walter M. Miller Jr. So he wrote two books in his lifetime. He wrote Canticle for Leibowitz, and then forty years later, he wrote a sequel, which he almost finished before committing suicide. 
Oh, bummer. Yeah. And those are the only two work, two books that he ever wrote. He wrote some short stories and some other stuff. Um, but he was like, you know, he like, he just lived with his wife in Florida and, you know, didn't really like, you know, I'm sure he had a circle of friends or whatever, but like he was a really private person and just, you know, struggled with writer's block and depression and all kinds of stuff. Um, and he was working on this book and he, he was, he talked to, he had this Terry Bisson, I think is another sci-fi author. And he basically said to Terry, like, Hey, I'm working on this sequel to Canticle. I've been stuck for a long time. If anything happens to me, I want you to like take all my notes and finish it. And within a couple months, he was gone. Oh man. And so like Terry Bisson like took this like material and like expected to find like just a mess because he'd been like writer's blocked on this book for like years. Um, and what he found was basically like the the notes for how the entire like four fifths of the book was written and done, and the last fifth had notes for like how everything was supposed to fit together. And so, like, all Terry Bisson had to do was just, like, kind of flesh it out and, like, just, oh, yeah, like, you know, follow the paint by numbers that that Walter M. Miller Jr. left for him um, to wow. finish it up. Yeah. And so so the first book, Canticle. Um, okay. So <laughs> more monks. Yeah, more monks. All right. Uh, kind of into monks, too, weirdly. <laughs> um, so it's the 80s. And now the book, book was written in like 57, 58. Yeah. So the 80s was the future at this point. Um, there's a nuclear war, you know, global th thermonuclear war, nuclear winter afterwards, radiation poisoning kind of flowing throughout the world. The survivors of this nuclear war, like the, you know, the regular everyday people are pissed and basically blame this tragedy that they're experiencing on, I think, first, like the politicians. And then like the scientists and engineers who developed the nuclear weapons and then, you know, the other scientists and engineers and, and they kind of just worked their way down to all the smart people. And, and eventually, you know, over the years, anyone who could read and they basically like take the earth back to the dark ages oh, over the whoa. course of a couple hundred years. Yeah. There's a lot of corollary between that time and like, yeah. the fall of the Roman empire and the burning of right, the exactly. library of Alexandria. Yep. Um, and so there's a, there's a, an electrical engineer who built nuclear weapons who, so the Catholic church survives the simplification as they called it. Yep. Um, and so there's this electrical engineer, uh, Isaac Edward Leibowitz, who joins the Catholic church, becomes a monk and founds an order of monks dedicated to, to saving the world's knowledge, basically secretly, secretly. because if, if, you know, if these regular everyday people discover you can read, they will, you know, burn you or hang stone you or stone or, you yeah. or whatever. Right. So these monks basically like travel throughout, uh, throughout, you know, wherever they can get. So they set up a monastery in the desert in the Southwest, like basically New Mexico. Um, and they're actually the early days, it wasn't even a monastery. They're just burying casks of all these books that they find just to hide them until the world's ready for them again. Um, so they're going throughout, you know, all over the country trying to secret find books that have been hidden away or, you know, got misplaced and just sort of smuggle them back to this desert so they can bury them and save them. Um, and they're the book. Leggers. And they're the book leggers. So that's ah, the name of our band. I see. Yeah. And but I everything I just said is the background before the first story starts. Yeah. Like 
the 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 Canticle for Leibowitz is three vignettes, and the first vignette takes place 600 years after everything I just said. And then the oh, second one is wow. 600 years later, and then the third one is 600 years after that. Oh, this sounds like all kinds of my business. That's all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fantastic so book. Good. It and really then, is. And the sequel takes place just after the second vignette. And like, so the first book is like, it's, I was saying this to Carl because I'm, I'm, I've read, I've read the first book three times and I've listened to the audiobook maybe four times. Uh, He's and, a fan. Uh, yeah. He likes it a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, and I've read the second, I've read the sequel like, like one and a half times, but I've been so busy lately. Like I've been wanting to read it and like get back into it. And I just haven't had time to like sit down and read it, but I have a long commute and I've, you know, been building a lot of pedals and I like listening to stuff when I build pedals. So I was trying to find an audio book of the second book and it just like didn't exist. And I finally found one on tape. So I'm like listening to it again on tape in the one vehicle I have that still has a tape player. Um, but anyway, so it, I realized that like the first book with the three vignettes, it's like they're so good and they're so tight and they're so well written, but it's it's still like ultimately it's like kind of pop music, right? Like it's it's the Beatles and that's great. Like, that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's still very, like, it's easy to get into. It's easy to digest. The sequel is like a Neurosis album. Like, mm. it's just epic and deep and layered and in detail. And they're both great in their own way, but they're very different. That's fascinating. Years to write a book. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I would imagine. I would imagine. I haven't tried. And, like, the, the freaking world building. It's just insane. Yeah. And he was, you know, and he, he's writing it in, he wrote the first one in the fifties. And so like, you know, like his vision of future computery things when they get there is like, you know, it's still very analog and like required, you know, you got to adjust the trimmers and it, you know, <laughs> like, like digital technology was, you know, barely in anyone's mind in the fifties. Yeah. And very much not in the, even sci-fi authors minds at that point um so you know like but other than the sort of the analog nature of future technology it, it was sort of it was pretty amazing yeah pretty that sounds that sounds incredible pressure. i did i yeah, did I, just write this down i'm like i gotta <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's highly recommended. highly recommended yeah. yeah it's so good this might be shocking to you, but I'm like, I'm going to go to the library tomorrow and check this out Sweet. if it's there. Like, think, <laughs> like this sounds Dude, like. I think that it will be because I feel like, didn't you tell me that, the, that it's often on like, you know, top, you know, whatever. Yeah, like if you look at, yeah, I mean, if you, if you Google like best sci-fi novels ever, like it, it tends to show up on those lists, but it's also just like really not in the, the modern consciousness these yeah. days. It's not, you know, Fahrenheit yeah. or. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not Dune. It's, it's not, not Fahrenheit. Yeah. It's not. It's not. You know, they haven't made a movie. I think is the problem. Right. Probably. Yeah. It's funny um, that when you were talking about them burying the books and stuff, I thought in my mind, I was like, "There's not entirely, but there's kind of a parallel to Fahrenheit in that a little bit." Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, it's there is different reasons for the destruction or hiding of the books, but like mm -hmm. it's it's yeah. interesting that two guys kind of around the same ish time frame had right. the concept that knowledge needs to get wiped out um yeah i think they're within a year of each other i think so so i think they were working on them concurrently 
That's yeah. I'm and that's that. pretty, and I know that I know that uh, the three vignettes originally appeared in simpler form in magazines. Okay. Um, like they were just like short stories. Each one was like a short story that he wrote. And he, you know, he realized he had three of them in the same world and kind of put them together and expanded on them. And it's the, what, what's crazy is actually some of my favorite parts of the first book are the connective tissue between the vignettes. Like it's and like the, and the writing is so good. Like it's, it's like, there's certain sections that I just read it and I'm like, this is a freaking prose poem. Like it's so beautifully written there's there's certain lines i'm trying to remember the exact one there's one where i think the like one of the uh people in charge like cuts himself and he's like wrong blood christ yours not mine it's just (laughs) it's hilarious (laughs) yeah and there's a lot of like there's a lot of philosophy and theology and a lot of latin in these books um and like there's Wikipedia articles with like the list of Latin phrases and there's like puns in Latin or like he'll take he'll take a phrase from, you know, like a Latin phrase from the Bible or a Latin phrase from that's just like a common idiom and like twist it. And, and you know, like it, it's like a joke, one monk making a joke to another, making a pun in Latin with this common phrase. <laughs> and it's the kind of stuff that like you either have to just know it or you got to look it up or, or it's just going to go right over your head. Good thing we have the internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. Like, can you imagine reading that in 1974 and be like, "Well, I don't know, boy." It's uh, yeah, it would it would have been a lot harder for sure. <laughs> just like, but you might have known. IPhone real quick. I mean, you get you get a lot of it from context. Like, I you can enjoy you can enjoy the book without that because I it's not hard to read either. Like it, it the first one just like it, it just blows by you, and it's you know it goes by so fast even with all of that you know, deep philosophy and theology and stuff just kind of embedded in it. And it goes, it's so entwined into the nature of the story that you don't even notice it's there until it's like at you. That's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Easier then too, because I think that's pre-Vatican too, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's true. So more people were at least exposed to Latin. I mean, not everyone understood it, but like you took Latin classes was still pretty popular and that's uh that's the other part of that story too is that walter and miller jr uh flew bombing raids in world war ii um and he was like oh i didn't know that. He, yeah he was like in the bomber i think he was like a bombardier or like the guy who actually aims the bombs okay. um and oh, he wow. flew on a mission he flew on a mission to like that was like this the, the, i think the nazis were using some super old ancient cathedral like catholic cathedral as like a base of operations or something and so there's decision about like well we really need to get rid of this base but it's also this like ancient cathedral and you know they decided to bomb it and he was on that bombing raid that bombed that cathedral and then like a decade later he's writing books about you know like knowledge and and uh catholic monks this weird order of Leibowitzian monks and like, you know, just all this stuff, it, it all kind of ties in. Like it, it you, it's kind of clear that like that kind of made an impression on him and it stuck with him. Yeah. I'm sure he felt, you know, some level of responsibility for destroying this old, you know, important structure. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, even though, you know, he, he clearly didn't really have a choice in the matter, but right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, he didn't, it, they weren't his orders. Right. He just had to follow them. 
World War Two, good sci-fi writers. Vonnegut was also yeah. You know, he was in yeah, the true. Of Dresden the, when they firebombed yeah. it. I so, didn't, you know, I don't think events. I knew that. I don't know that much about Vonnegut other than the little that I've read of him. I didn't realize he was. Yeah, I believe old, he was, I, guess. <laughs> I believe he was in the, um, when yeah. they firebombed Dresden, I believe he was there as a prisoner of war. Cause I think his, his first book was like, he would, he just had all these like stories that he would like tell people mm-hmm. about that time. And I, I don't know, his, his wife or somebody was like, you know, you should like write those down. And I think that I think that's what became Slaughterhouse Five. I may have just totally twisted all of that. Maybe <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that was his f- first book, but it was one of his first books. Yeah, I, I literally I everything I just said may be wrong, that. <laughs> but that was what was in my head. Well, that's that's for you, the listeners, to go and Google yeah, and, and yeah. correct us. Somebody Google that and prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah, we'll find <laughs> out, figure it out. Oh, that was a, I was just saying it could like could happen, and that's homework. You just made the challenge. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, oh, throw down I'm probably away. wrong. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, I'm probably no, I'm wrong. Not, I'm not sure. I've read I'm just get, no. I'm just gonna keep making up stories about famous sci-fi writers. So since we're <laughs> so far into this at this point, I feel like I yeah. feel like I should like. I, I had a question pop up back when we were talking about the AI stuff or, or the, you know, the, sure. the machines taking oh, yeah. over. And I, I don't and think the, I ever this... quite finished saying where Electro Foods came from. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's, okay. That's okay. Yeah, whatever. No big deal. Um, but I, because you're an engineer, uh, I feel like you will have an answer for this because it's something I've been thinking about probably more than okay. necessary, um, which is like, thinking about AI and the way things are going and, and just like, it almost seems inevitable that if we keep, if, you know, barring any natural disasters or nuclear winter or aliens coming and beaming us away or anything else, just like if we just keep going down the same path that we're going down as far as technology goes, it seems to me almost inevitable that the robots will take over and see us as unnecessary and actually a problem uh to to the continued survival of the planet i know that sounds a little bit dramatic but i feel like i feel like that's kind of inevitable if we keep going going the way we're going probably not in our lifetimes but you know in the not so distant future or you know that's just that's just the way i feel about it the way things are have just advanced so quickly in my lifetime um yeah i so do you feel any level of not to make you feel like this is on your shoulders, but as somebody who works in the that area, do you feel like there's a level of responsibility there in the science and engineering community that like maybe maybe things need to slow down a little bit in some ways? That's what I'm um, wondering. I'm sure there are I'm sure there are people who do feel that way. So I guess I'm going to take a step back and say that I for the most part, I would say I, I think I agree with you. Um, overall, which maybe is scarier than whatever else I was about to say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like, I think, I think just fundamentally like artificial intelligence, you know, some sort of, some sort of sentience, you know, I'm going to say coming online to use the Terminator two reference or Terminator one, either way, Mm -hmm. uh, of Skynet. Yeah came online at whatever that date was 1992. I don't know. Anyway, um, I think it's going to happen in, you know, 
I don't know how long, but it's not long. I think my best guess is some sort of sentience is going to happen in my lifetime. It may happen and then we don't realize it's happened for a bunch of years. Right. And it sort of rec- retrospectively realized like, oh, yeah, that 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 counted. Um, that's my best guess. Um, yeah. And I think quickly we're going to have to start dealing with um, human rights issues in regards to artificial intelligences. Like very quickly, that's going to be a thing that we're going to have to think about real hard. Right. Because where do you say that consciousness starts? And it, Exactly. You know, we. Yeah. And once you have consciousness, you have, you know, this thing must have rights of some kind. Right. But legally, it isn't going to because there's no category that that is defined there. Right. And then, you know, how do you. uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that's a thing that, you know, scientists and philosophers are still struggling with defining what consciousness is. I mean, it's sort of one of those things where we have an ever evolving model right it's like we think it's like this and i mean you know there's parts of like Mm -hmm. you know particle physics and um you know string theories still an idea it's been around for a a while and the fact that we even have to go there we the fact that we even maybe have to go to like particle physics and string theory to define what consciousness is is just like kind of mind-blowing but i but it might be true but it might be true and you know, that's what, as you know, I studied philosophy in college, um, and, and, you know, that was a, a thing that someone was like, well, what do you, do you believe in determinism then? Like, you're a philosophy major, like, tell me how it, and I'm like, well, I mean, I'd like to think that I have free will, but I believe that the physical laws of the universe probably govern more of my life and my abilities than I have. So if you, if you, like, make me make a choice, I'll say I'm a hard determinist, but I don't you know, you can't yeah, act. I, I mean, in, if you in get a, in, in a way if like you get that. into issues of free will, you have to define your self versus your conscious self, conscious self, and whether those are different things. Not to get too esoteric here, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, if if the true self of you is only your conscious self, and you decide to drink a glass of water, and you can you can sort of prove that like you, your body started moving toward getting up. To go get that glass of water before you were consciously aware of it like you can do those i was a psychology minor <laughs> in uh college yeah uh so you, you can actually do those cognitive psychology experiments and like prove that like the action potentials for people's neurons to like start getting up occur before they're consciously aware that they're going to get up out of a chair um, yeah that makes sense i could see that yeah and and well, so like have to right to so it. so like is <laughs> is that it, you know, so like some people would say that, say, see that and say, oh, well, free will is an illusion. You don't have free will because you didn't consciously choose to get up. But my argument is that like, okay, but that the part of your brain that decided to get up before you were consciously aware of it is still you. So right, right. that's still your free will to get up. It was just not the conscious part of you. Yeah, but then you, and then you go to get cellular you're like well your body you know your body needs water so your body is telling you right. know your, your subconscious part of your body is being it says hey i'm thirsty right so <laughs> i i look at that and i still say that that's free will right but like people no one can agree on this stuff and trying like i, I guess here's where i'm at is 
we're as a species really bad at treating humans like with the respect that they deserve. And I am just terrified of the way that we're going to treat artificial intelligences and artificial sentient beings. What I'm saying, I think like in the, the, what, where I, where I was going with the line of question is not like, will it happen? Or like, is not uh what to do when they get here my line of questioning was now you guys are talking about all your fancy schooling i'm a i'm an ex mechanic <laughs> I'm, I'm an ex mechanic i majored in wrenches in greece uh so you know hey, man, my my, cool. my mental that's cool uh, too. my mental abilities and my thought processes are not probably as quite as developed on these things so take everything i say with a grain of salt um my oh, that's fair. my question oh. was like do you think we have a responsibility to prevent it from happening in the first place? Like, should we, so, should we I, slow, like intentionally slow down technological progress to try to avoid that ever becoming an issue? I guess I was, I was trying to answer your question sideways, which is, I don't think we, I don't think we can. I think if we try to slow it down, we will fail because not enough people feel that burden of responsibility because I think most people working in directly in that field don't actually believe that they're anywhere close to doing that thing. So they're not really worried about it yet. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. So, is you don't want to be worried about it when you're close to it. Cause then it's too late. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I, I guess I sort of am conscious of that and feel some responsibility there, but I'm not, I'm also not going to be the person who causes any of that bad stuff to happen. Cause I don't work directly with AIs in any way, shape or form much as I might actually like to. Um, but I think what we can do is start, you know, I guess start thinking about how we want to treat these conscious beings, these artificial conscious beings now and sort of develop that ethos of anything with any kind of sentience or consciousness, be it human dolphin blue whale or, program on a computer deserves to be treated with an equal amount of respect. And if, you know, kind of ingrain that ethos into the culture so that when it does happen, we aren't just totally awful to them. And then they maybe don't feel the need to eliminate us when they get more powerful than we are inevitably. I don't even know, like, see, that's, I don't even know if that would be enough. Like I kind of, I don't know. I'm very negative on the whole, don't get me wrong. I love, <laughs> I love technology. Here I am doing a podcast with this yeah, right, technology. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, but like I, I sit, I've been wondering about this stuff a lot because I think like, I don't even think, I think we could, if they, you know, when it quote unquote comes online, if we were like the sweetest thing ever and like took care of it, like it was a human, uh, you know, and like, like made it, you know, one of us sort of, I still think that because, humans are so human and imperfect and messy in all of our functions, basically, no matter how hard we try that, that the the robots will at some point will say, these guys are just messing everything up. We could do this so much better. Why, you know, we need to control them in some way, shape or form. I don't think, I think that's an inevitability, you know, maybe because I read too many sci-fi novels. Uh, but like, I just feel like they're going to see us as a problem, no matter how yeah. good we are to them in the early. Yeah. States. I, I mean, I, the other thing I, I think it, it is like, I try not to think of any group in a monolithic way. 
right? So like there are factions of thought in, in every, in every organization and every group. And even if the exterior appears monolithic, it doesn't mean that that isn't going on. And so like, I feel like I, any I kind of group like, of artificial intelligences yeah. has to be the same way. Right. And if they're truly sentient and truly intelligent, then they're going to have a capacity for creativity and play and, and some appreciation of art in some manner. Like I, I fundamentally believe, I guess <laughs> sort of coming to this realization now, as I say it, uh, mm -hmm. that like that intelligence and sentience go hand in hand with, with play, like all, all intelligent creatures play like rats play, dolphins play, whales play that, you know, language song play and art to some extent like whales have songs that they share and like they change and they, like you can track like a certain song is a hit in the whale community because it like travels throughout all the different whales and they all sing the same song and then like you know a few months later like another one gets popular and they all like i feel like any sentient entity is going to have that same capacity and so like i'm kind of just betting on enough of them will be fascinated with our weird idiosyncrasies and want to collaborate in some artistic way that they, we, they won't eliminate us because we amuse them and that they want to be friends and they want to like make stuff together. They won't kill all of us. Yeah. They want like, they won't they kill us because they want to be in our bands, I guess is where I'm at. So you're saying <laughs> I'm going to have to start playing guitar again because I can't <laughs> yeah. compete with an AI robot, man. It's just they yeah. can have yeah. extra limbs. <laughs> and I mean, talk about quantizing, you know? Yeah. And they're going to have like, they're going to have like the ear equivalent of like mantis shrimp eyes. So they can hear like way, they can hear down to like 0.1 Hertz and they can hear up into the ultrasonic. Yeah. Oh, sorry. There, I let one. <laughs> hey, you did good. 135 yeah. minutes. <laughs> that's a, that's about totally as long it. as I could go. I think that might be it. There was one, that other, might be my there was one other one that happened in there. Was it really? There was, yeah. I, was I didn't hear it, so I, I didn't write it, it down. Yeah, I missed it too. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to listen to this whole was, thing. I, I, <laughs> I think it was after we went Patreon, but uh, or towards the end there. It was, uh, the, it was the P I was word. trying so hard. Somewhere in there. Oh. Well, I think we did well. Yeah, we'll find it. Yeah, yeah. we'll find it. <laughs> if we could put in a like a like a metalocalypse squeal, that'd you know, be awesome. if only there was like some sort of AI that could like listen to the whole thing real fast and tell us. Yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> you know what? There's one thing that I I I hate more than listening to Bro Country, and that is listening to my own voice on the podcast. So. Um, you got a good voice, though. I have to say, yeah, like, I like I'm your voice. gonna be really upset. I think listening back, listening to my own voice. Oh yeah, I, I always say listening. To my oh own no, voice, you guys but... sound, you guys sound great. See, you know, I think it's just it's weird because you hear your own voice yeah. with the resonance inside your head, right. so it never sounds to you like it mm -hmm. sounds to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So that's it's it's a weird thing. I think I was reading an interview and like Kim Deal says that it's like still, like and I'm like you've been singing and recording music since you know for like 30 something <laughs> almost 40 years maybe 40 years because she i mean she was playing when she was a kid and and you still haven't really like gotten used to it it's a really that, weird that thing blows my mind it, it is, is a weird, weird thing I but i mean it's it's very strange yeah yeah but well 
Thank you guys for coming on. I think we should probably wrap yeah, this thank up. Thank you so much. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we went for a bit. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, this is great. This is great. Yeah. This will be probably, this is going to be the longest Patreon. We usually do about between 10 and 30. So this is the longest Patreon and definitely um, the heaviest. Well, actually, yeah, no. I take that back. There was some pretty heavy personal stuff we talked about on one with uh, Sean Arbo from Grunt Gun Street Wiring. He had a very heavy personal oh. story he got into. Yeah, I think you had said that on, I, yeah, uh, on one of them that was too recently where you talked about it, like, oh, well, that one I cried. So, oh, that was uh, <laughs> that, that oh no, was, that wasn't that one? that wasn't that one. That was a okay. uh, that was that was a public one. That was with the uh, Joshua Spataro oh, okay. from Righteous Sound Pickups. So. Okay, mm. I'm sorry, I mixed those up. That's okay, but no, Sean's story is very heavy too. He was sick for yeah. like most of his life, and Ooh. and then like over prescribed a bunch of medications that he shouldn't have been okay. taking that caused him some problems, and yeah. uh, it all comes down to uh, he found out later, like after he just had to like buckle down and figure it out, like it was all down to his diet, and so like all of oh, these whoa. drugs he'd been taking forever oh, was just. Man like messed him up and his attitude towards like, I would have been furious, you know, and his yeah. attitude was like really refreshing. I'm like, that's how I should be like <laughs> type of thing. Uh, that's yeah. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, me that too. Sounds... I'll, uh, I'll try to hook you guys up with the, his, he didn't go into it too much on his actual interview. Okay. Oh, it's yeah, on, the, it it's on the Patreon one. one. He's a really good guy. He sponsors a podcast. He's awesome. Um, sweet. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank right. you but, for doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that we could come yeah, and talk right. for a long time. <laughs> well, here, let's wrap this thing up because uh, we still have a few things to talk about off air, sort of, kind of. Nothing All important. Right, cool. Okay, yeah. cool. Sounds good. All right, bye guys. All right, bye bye. Okay, there you have it. There is a shining example of what some of the episodes of the Tone Mob Patreon look like. So if you like extra episodes every week coming at you you can go over there and for as little as five dollars a month you can get extra episodes every week coming straight to your favorite podcast player so yeah that's uh that's something i've been wanting to do for a while and i guess it just kind of worked out that due to technical gremlins you get to hear it this week i was going to throw it in in a couple weeks but we shuffled it around so anyway hopefully i can get the files squared away and either way, we'll get to we'll get to listen to those episodes. I'll figure it out. But I just can't do it on crunch time, apparently. So there you go. If you have any questions, hit me up at info at tonemob.com via email or on any of the socials. I'm at the Tone Mob. And if you want to hang out and get to know us a little bit better, then you can hang out in the Facebook group where there's all kinds of weirdos like myself hanging out and theorizing and talking about pizza and guitar pedals and all that good stuff. So, yeah, without, uh, without further ado, I'm going to sign off. I hope you guys have a good week, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. 
I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.